All right, guys, welcoming in whale capper Drew Dinsick and uh, Andy Molitor uh, at Andy MSFW. I think that's that's right off the top of my head. The boys from the Deep Dive Podcast, a podcast I listen to um, every week. I assume a lot of the people who listen to the show also listen to these guys. And a couple couple weeks ago, um, I actually pre COVID, we had uh, we had plans to do a, a crossover oh, podcast. Yeah. Right, we were going to do it um, before March Madness and. Uh, Kind of got, kind of got shelved. So we've we've rallied the uh, we've rallied the troops here to uh, just discuss, you know, the the world like kind of the world that we all live in of of speculating via, via fantasy, via gambling, via everything. So guys, uh, thanks for thanks for doing this. Very very excited to uh, to chat. Dude, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'd forgotten. Like you and I had a date. We, we were it was like a mon- Monday morning. We were gonna. I think it was the Monday after Selection Sunday. You yep. and I were going to talk college basketball, and I just DM'd you. I remember, like, it came up on my calendar. I'm like, "Hey, Davis, like, we're we're not doing that podcast." Yeah, right? we uh, we don't we uh, we don't have a show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's yeah. no there's no selection Sunday to talk about. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, so uh, it was, yeah. so that one happened. more slap of reality uh, as things got canceled. So the 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 main thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about was futures, and there are a couple reasons for this. First everyone loves to bet futures, like literally like eight, like people who are not even savvy sports bettors, right? Like who, who doesn't love get betting 20 to one and, and getting paid out in six months. And especially people are loving to bet futures right now. Cause there's not that much for, you know, if you're not willing to bet on German soccer or uh, Asian league of legends, there's just, there's not that much to get down on for the North American sports better. So Drew, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start with you here. Just sort of generally speaking, how are you approaching wagering on futures versus wagering on immediately available games? Because I think the utility of the dollar is like I listen to a lot of sports betting podcasts, right? I, I I've read a lot of books, and you know, I just I have not heard you know the utility of the dollar over holding a ticket for six months versus wagering on something that's going to get settled within let's say let's say seventy two hours or a week, whatever, for betting NFL games on Sunday night. How are you? How are you valuing that utility of the dollar? It is a very. It's an important question that I think every sports better needs to come up with a very specific strategy because if you're just hitting the futures market willy nilly as opposed to approaching it with kind of a systematic approach, uh, I don't think you are going to find nearly the success, and it's going to be kind of a drain on your overall performance as a handicapper uh, and you know it can be detrimental in terms of you know your you know how you think about. Uh, your overall betting, especially come playoff time, if you don't have a very specific approach for NFL future betting. So I've kind of learned this the hard way through the years. And over the last three seasons, I've kind of continually tried to upgrade and improve my overall process. Uh, And I have a couple of core tenants that I think are worth exploring. Um, But you're right on your main point, which is that there's maybe no more fun bet to have in your pocket come Super Bowl Sunday than, hey, I bet this team when no one else believed in them. They're my team. Like I made this this prediction. These guys were going to be here. They're going to win. I got them at 20 to 1. No one else saw this coming. These are my guys, right? Like that is such a fun uh, and uh, an incredibly powerful kind of experience. You know, it adds so much to the entertainment if you have that ticket relative as opposed to just – Hey, I'm coming into this game and I'm going to bet uh, this team because I think the line's off by a point or whatever. So it's it's a it's a very um, 
you know, it's a very cool part of sports betting overall. But again, you know, if you're only, if you're just kind of throwing darts and you're just kind of picking a couple of teams at the beginning of the season and you don't really have an overall plan, the utility of the dollar thing matters a ton because number one, what, you know, what do you do? Are you going to bet at like the same exact unit size that you would bet on a future that you would bet on any, you know, you're going to bet on nine, 10 games a week. Right. Or are you going right. to specifically scale your, uh, your bet in a way that uh, you're putting away a little bit more bankroll. You're going to put a little more pressure on yourself if you're, you know, you're lightening your your active balance, account balance that you're going to wager on uh, if you put away too much. Um, and so I guess, you know, kind of from a philosophy standpoint, the lessons learned, uh, which I think are worth kind of repeating for people who are either new to this or really haven't thought through, hey, I should have a plan or a process. You know, the market, for futures in the NFL specifically is a dynamic marketplace. Every single week, the prices are going to change. We have prices now that are going to be pretty static other than um, maybe major news like Andrew Luck retiring or something like that. Like there's not oh going to be, God, dude, don't there's, do that. <laughs> I know that, that really set that hit me in the nuts hard last year, but the, but in general, there's not going to be a major reallocation of winning of probability between now and when the season starts, assuming we get a normal 16 game season and we see, we already know who all of the schedules are going to be. Right. So th there's not going to, not much is going to change between today and say September. Right. Um, numbers might get a little sharper. The mispriced, you know, you know, outliers, especially at the high end, might uh, might change a little bit. But you're not going to have massive um, changes in the prices until we get to the games. And once the games start getting played, it is like a whole new board every week for the first four or five weeks of the season. Like every week, you go and look, and you know, this team is four zero. No one saw it coming. You know, Niners, great example last year. They got off to such a hot start you know, eight and no through, you know, eight weeks or whatever it was. And it's like, you know, that was a team that was 20 or 30 to one to start the season. And that got bet down into the, you know, five to one range. Once it was obvious that that was a team that had uh, a realistic possibility of getting the one seed and contending for a title. So, you know, these recognizing that the numbers are going to change over the course of the season is probably the most important aspect of all of this, because you're, what that means is, you should approach this with the idea of I'm going to build out a portfolio. I'm not just going to pick a couple horses that I think are going to win the race, right? I want to be able to time my market entry on all the teams that I think are realistic contenders. And I want to get the best price available on those teams over the course of the six month cycle. Right. And that is, that goes to say, you know, like, like in years past after the Patriots start one and three through four weeks or whatever, and everybody's like up oh, the end of the dynasty, you could have snapped up, you know, much more advantageous numbers on teams like that than you could have gotten before the season started. And so I think it's, it's pretty important to kind of go into it with that mindset and rather than just say, okay, well, these are teams, you know, from the outset, you probably are looking for specifically for teams that are just like ludicrously, um, un, you know, not well reflected by the market. You have, you have to really look for true incorrect prices uh, and you should probably be uh, coupling that with uh, relatively soft first four weeks of the season because you, you want to always be making a bet in the futures market that you think is going to accrue value over the life cycle of the market, right? It should never just be Ah, well, you know, I like the Eagles this year, so I'm going to go bet the Eagles to win the, 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 the Super Bowl. So I think kind of approaching it with that mindset, first and foremost, will help you improve your performance in the futures a 
you know, a long way. Um, and, you know, you, you should not be thinking of it in terms of, well, I'm just going to make my bets now, lock up this bankroll for six months, and then, you know, we'll get it all resolved in February. You should be kind of thinking of it over, you know, how, the, you know, the, all of the rest of your betting you plan to, uh, to undertake over the course of the season. So I think um, another reason why people are so attracted to futures is um, it's, it's much harder to calculate the hold just from eyeballing the lines, right? Like you're looking at all of them and you're like, oh, you know, that kind of adds up. Like, you know, I just, I sort of, I'm like, oh yeah, one team's plus 150, one team's plus 200, one team's plus 400. And then, then, you know, the, the worst team the, you know, the Jaguars 18 to one or whatever. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, all of those lines, it probably adds up. It's uh it's probably fair. Whereas like this, Visually, you know, lines that are minus 140, minus 110, like even, even uh, like, you know, my friends who've made like four bets in their lifetime, look at that line and they're like, oh, actually that doesn't make any sense. Why would, uh, you know, why would, why would I be betting on that when I can't really, I can't even theoretically make money on either side over the, the long run. So uh, Andy, what is your philosophy in terms of betting into markets that have unfair holds? Like even if you, even if your numbers have the specific future number is good. Uh, we get into this a lot with golf betting, which I, I know that you've done some of in the past where like, you know, maybe your numbers have Hideki Matsuyama at, at 20 to one as like, that's still good value, but overall the market is, you know, let's say there's like just some absurd hold, like 15, 18% hold or something absurd. Uh, you know, kind of how do you mentally calculate that stuff as far as it goes with EV and, you know, figuring out betting into markets with insane hold? So it reminds me of something. I, I mean, Drew did it one day. We just started talking about it and then naturally he finds a little time to run some numbers. And we, we were looking at the holds and like, you know, the ones with the, the full complement of teams, like to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I mean, it was like two, 200%. In some yeah, ways. just absurd. Just wild holds. And uh, at that point, you just got to deal, deal with the fact that that's how it is. That's what you're betting into. You're still looking for value. And honestly, shopping around, you're going to, especially when you get into the smaller markets, let's say just to win a division where you're only dealing with four teams and they're not able to, you know, disguise such a high hold within a, a smaller amount of options in a bet like that, you can still find, I don't want to say like synthetic zero hold markets, but by shopping around, honestly, you can sometimes. I'll say you can. and Every once in a while, to, yeah. Yes, yeah, something to look for too is like, you know, just promo bets or things like that. Bet online has that odds booster. I check that every day. I know people, I have people that post bets from there when they, they see value. It's just, you know, you can find some stupid numbers on some teams sometimes and just these promo bets, you maybe only get a hundred bucks on it, but at the same time you can come back on another team later on and, and get some good value that way. But yeah, shopping around is definitely the case, especially with golf. I'm sure you've seen that with outrights. Like, that's the biggest pain in the butt for me with outright prices for golf is like opening up 10 windows. And after a certain point, it's just like, I uh, bet DSI I'm closing and this one I'm closing. Cause it's been, you know, 15 weeks and I still haven't found them to be the best number for anything ever. So you get to know which books are best for which, which uh, outright markets and start to gravitate that way. And, you know, like bookmaker has some pretty good uh, outright numbers on, on golf. But I mean, the holds are still going to be there. Just it, it's it's something you have to deal with. And if if you don't think the number is good enough with that that hold in that market, 
and you know maybe it's just a pass for you it it makes me think of uh tennis too I did well I used to do a tennis podcast but tennis is completely dead except for some exhibition stuff and uh, my co-host we were talking about the exact thing I started this little rant with where Drew was figuring out the holds for the Super Bowl markets and he started to do that with all the tennis tournaments we were betting on and you know you have the majors the slams and then you have weeks where you have three of these 250s and they're just these tiny little ones sometimes in a a city nobody wants to go to you're taking a break after a bigger tournament there's no big names there it's a a higher level of uncertainty at those tournaments because there's not like a clear winner a clear one seed sometimes the number one seed isn't even like a top 25 player it's and those he started to notice that he just anecdotally he thought the numbers kind of suck at these and he went back because he has hard OCD about this. He went back and was figuring out the hold percentage at one specific book for every tennis tournament. And at those smaller tournaments, it was much higher. Like yeah. at the same book, it was it was strategically placed higher. It, I mean, it's just a – And the market is not defense. as liquid, so they need to be making exactly. more money per bet on those for sure. Yeah, so I think I think watch for that too. You know, if you are betting into smaller markets like that, you're going to end up paying a little more for stuff like that. And you better, I mean, your, your edge has to be bigger at that point, I guess, yeah. to make up for that. So I think it's, it's intuitive though, right? Like men's like, th- like just sticking with the tennis example for a second. Like when you have, when, if you had like the French open, like guess what? The price on Nadal to win the French open is going to be razor sharp. The price on Djokovic, the price on Federer, the price on team, you know, the top of the market when you have known quantities like that, yeah. it's going to be really good, which, which I think goes to the point of like talking about hold and kind of conceptually thinking about this, this not, not all, not all players have an equal percentage of the hold, right? Like some, like they build a futures market in some cases where they have true correct pricing at the top of the board and they put most of the hold into the longer shots, recognizing that like somebody who's a hundred to one on the board you know, who's playing in his first ever French open, like they're implying he has a 1% chance to win. Well, realistically, it's probably what 0.0001, right? Like he ought to be 10 million to one and he's a hundred to one, right? Like there is definitely an imbalance, especially proportionately when it comes to hold and kind of the longer shots, I think. Um, And I think, you know, there's, it's a super successful strategy in horse racing for sure, not to try to just pick the winner but to kind of throw out the ones that you think reasonably have 0% chance and then whatever you're left with, maybe it's, you know, maybe you're putting, you know, maybe you're betting into, you know, 70%, 80% of the market, but you think you're capturing hundred percent of the win probability, right? Like that's a, a right. very specific philosophy that a lot of people who have succeeded in horse racing kind of take into any given race. If you can throw out the, the true zero percenters, uh, which are swallowing up one to 5% of the hold, uh, then you can, start to rein that number in yeah so i think actually really related to the futures market is uh game of the year bets right so like you know we have week one lines actually there are there are some offshore books that have literally like gate like weeks one through 17 lines posted um i think my intuition would be that it is very much not worth it to get two, three points of, of closing line value. I mean, some of these games, I'm sure, will swing by a touchdown, right? And you'll, and, and you'll be like, 
wow, look at all, look at all this, look at all this value. Well, locked in, but you know, obviously a lot of those line swings are going to be based on in season injuries, right? Especially when we're talking about, um, NFL games, like, you know, uh, uh, Dak Prescott gets her in week seven. And then, you know, all of the Cowboys lines week eight through 17 are going to be, you know, really like, they're just going to be, they're going to be the exact opposite. So, um, Andy, in terms of like, you know, betting on NFL games like this, this far out where we're, you know, we're what five months away from, from kickoff now, like, are you, are you at all interested in wagering on specific games this, this far out? We're not that far We out. had this conversation last summer. <laughs> As we were first putting together, like our, we don't per se have this like consensus power numbers, but when we start doing our previews, we we start to see like, hey, I agree that, you know, the market is probably overvaluing this team or undervaluing this team. And then we, we did that last year. And I don't even know if we did this on air, possibly part of it, but we started to go through, was it the Rams or the Falcons, Drew? It was the Rams. It was the Rams. The Rams were, were rated you know, as a team that had just been to the Super Bowl and was likely to win their division and we were lower on them and you started to go through those lines and then it just snowballed like, oh my God, should we bet against the Rams like eight times this year before the games even start? And I mean, the answer is yes. Like we screwed up by not doing that. Right. But at the same time, like I think there's a delicate balance there of you really have to trust your numbers. You have to be right. And then again, like you said, you can't, suffer uh, you know injury variants if you really go all in on one team I don't know if I'd recommend doing something like that like betting if you really overvalue yeah bet, a betting team, against a the Chiefs on like on like 12 lines or whatever yeah don't, don't, like maybe don't put so many <laughs> eggs in one basket like that but definitely if you if you put your own numbers together and you strongly disagree with some of these games in the summer yeah. If you trust your numbers and you've been right and you've been doing this for a while, I th- I think I'm willing to put money and let it sit there for a few weeks or a few months to really crush some closing line value. Um, yeah, well, I mean, what was the point. one you had? Lions, Lions pick them. Yeah. Or Arizona pick them, whichever one where you got a push where everyone else lost when it tied. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, think, it, it, it would save you a couple of units if you get some of these down early. And I think we are going to look into doing this a little more because definitely like we've hit on some of this stuff we just haven't put our money behind it and i think you just need to find like our maybe less than 10 i would say like the 10 strongest angles out of the 250 so games and yeah you know, play around with it and see how they do this year i think uh, and i i would piggyback on that and say if you kind of look at a power rating um, that is implied by the overall numbers and just forget about everybody in the middle right that's you know that they they could end they're probably going to end up in the middle right maybe they're towards the bottom maybe they float to the, their opponent floats to the top but that's going to be a hell of a lot harder to predict than just taking the top five and the bottom five right and looking circling those matchups where do they occur on the calendar are they towards the end of the season like the rams cardinals was the best example of this of all time last year the cardinals their power number implied like a minus six the rams power number implied like a plus six so, you know, in L.A. late in the season, that was expected to be a 16-point game, right? And if you're like, okay, well, you know, there's a decent chance that maybe the Cardinals aren't the worst team in the NFL. There's a decent chance that the Rams aren't the best. There's a, that, that implies that, like, either only one of those two things has to be true for you to capture some big-time value when that game rolls around on the schedule. It just so happened that both of those things ended up being true, and I think – the preseason line or whatever was minus 13 or something, you know, that game ended up going off minus three. 
So you had like yeah. a 10 point middle on that one. Right. And so I think if you just kind of focus on the extremes and you look at where they fall in the calendar, you can probably do this blindly. And I think the other important thing to kind of zero in on here is you don't necessarily have to take the good bet on the bad teams against the good teams. You can just say, okay, here are the bad teams. Here's their schedule. And you can probably look for game of the year numbers that are on the right side of key numbers, right? Like if you have a team like the Bengals and they're expected to be bad as shit, but then you roll, let, look at like week eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 from them, right? Maybe there's a game of the year there that you're going to get three and a half against another bad team. Maybe there's a game of the year there where you're going to get, you know, the, you know, the right side of, uh, you know, two and a half with a good team going up against another good team, right? Like the, you want, you want those sort of, um, you know, those sort of key numbers in your pocket if you're going to go through this exercise for sure, because the whole idea really approaching the game of the year is when the game comes, you want to have, you know, massive line value on that ticket that's in your pocket. So I think, um, I think a question that a lot of people in our space have been thinking about with, you know, obviously no games to bet on, right? Uh, I mean, I've bet on some League of Legends and I like there's been, there's been DFS this yeah. whole time. So it's, it's a little bit different. Um, I think it's a little bit different for people who play like loads of DFS because they're just used to uh, money come, money go. But I, I'm sort of wondering your guys' theory on like life role versus um, investment role. Because really, you know, betting on sports, uh, owning Bitcoin, altcoins, uh, stocks, DFS, season-long leagues, like it's all, it's all the same idea of, of taking money you have and, and, and getting a greater return on that money, you know, finding the, the best ways to achieve ROI on that money. So I, I'm kind of just wondering, like personally, do you guys have, are, is your sports betting role separate from investment role? And like if you guys are playing daily fantasy, is that, is that in the sports betting role or is that its own separate thing? Like are you, are you, do you have one investment role and kind of what do you think is, is optimal with that? Oh, man. Ooh, this is an interesting question. This yeah, is, I, I'm, I had to think this about is, this one this afternoon. Do you want to go first, Sandy? Yeah, mine's kind of a mess, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think that, it, I like, think that answer question, is true for most question, people. Yeah, the question kind of made me feel bad. Like when I went and looked at like how like, I managed oh, yeah, things. What am I doing? <laughs> it made it made me think of like you know part of the question of the the first point you brought up about like futures and allocating bankroll. I think one of the main mistakes I made early on was like setting really hard guide. Like I tried to just be an authoritarian on myself with uh, like bankroll management. Like I, this is how I'm going to do it. And it doesn't matter. Like I I've really loosened that up as far as, Hey, this is, this is value. Like if I have 32 regular season win totals that I think are off, I'm going to bet all 32. And like, I just, that's my bankroll. I, I try to make my bets a small enough part of my bankroll that I can make a massive amount of bets if I need to. Cause I, I had the same thing with college basketball. I'm like, man, am I betting too many games? It's like, no, just bet your edges, man. It, it, you know, let your bankroll be a, a big enough multiple of your bet size where it doesn't matter if you're putting, you know, 10, 15% of it into play. Cause you just still at the same time you have to play your edges. So I guess yeah. my, my crypto, uh, I, you know, I've told Drew this, and I think I talked to somebody else about this. When sports died, I took yeah. a lot of money out of my accounts, like yeah. all of them. And that turned into more, like that just turned more money. into another, well, I just turned into like another crypto, like, oh, this is my crypto now. So I, I bought a bunch of crypto at like whatever it was, 6,000. 
So that yeah. that worked. Like that was way better than betting this spring, I guess, because I'd have probably lost money on uh, the NBA playoffs. So good job, Bitcoin. <laughs> I guess like my, my my crypto role grew, but at the same time, you know, like I think crypto DFS and betting are like one thing, and then investing, man, that's that seems like it's a whole other thing for me. Like I do keep that completely separate from this. The other ones kind of mix mix together a little. And I did play some UFC DFS the other day. I forgot how much I enjoy that. And then also how stupid tournaments are because I got like all the fighters right. I just didn't put the right captain. Yeah, and still didn't win. Tough scene. Yeah. Stupid Mm. Andy doesn't know how to Mm. to play the uh, showdowns right. You just need 50 lineups, right? The, uh, the, the two wasn't enough. (laughs) The the series. Yeah. I guess guess I'll echo some of that sentiment. Like as structured as my approach is to betting the futures market and establishing a portfolio and as very sophisticated as that description might've sounded, like I am way more haphazard and ought to have the same sort of philosophy and kind of thought process as it goes to bankroll. Um, For sure. When I started doing this like six, seven years ago, more seriously, I, my my bankroll strategy was I'm going to put a thousand dollars in this account before week one of the NFL season. I'm going to see how long this lasts, right? Like cross my fingers that I can play college basketball with this. Like that was like my entire philosophy at that time. Right. And then as he got better at it, as I kind of realized like, Oh wait, no, there's like an art to this that is much more than just using it for entertainment. I'm going to focus. I'm going to try to improve. I'm going to try to uh, not have to, you know, continually redeposit to these accounts. Like all of a sudden it was like, Oh, okay. I haven't deposited in a year. Oh, this is wild. Like, okay. Like I don't, okay. Now I'm thinking about, okay, how am I going to withdraw some money so I can pay for some extra Christmas presents or have a little bit more fun money. Right. And at that point it was like, yeah, buy a grill. Exactly. And uh, at that point was when Bitcoin really started to become a hell of a lot higher utility for this sort of thing. And so then it was like, oh, wait a second, like getting money on and off these offshore accounts is very, very straightforward if you're using Bitcoin. That is then, you know, lent lend, lend itself to like, you know, okay, well, you, all you have to do is by accident one day do a withdrawal from an account uh, and then leave it, you know, you, you, you obviously the 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it takes to process your, you know, your, you know, you're sweating it out. Like, is it going to come through? Did I do it right? Like, is this all fine? Uh, and then once it gets in your account, like, okay, if you don't have like a, uh, if you don't, you know, move it immediately and cash it out and sell it right away, like you can blink and overnight, like it can have grown, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever. And you're like, whoa, what the hell? Like, and then you kind of yeah. realize that like the, the good, either the good way or the bad way, like you can realize that like Bitcoin itself is, you know, is this commodity with a variable price that you have to kind of be cognizant of. Uh, in in conjunction with the utility of moving money on and off these books. Uh, And, you know, you realize, I I realized the hard way one year, I was like, after using Bitcoin a couple of times, getting money on and off, I wasn't really, uh, you know, like depositing and losing money sports betting anymore. And NFL season rolled around and I was like, okay, I set a specific goal of how much I was going to put in. I bought enough Bitcoin to do it. I went and bet the entire NFL season had like my best season to that point in my life. And it wasn't close. And then when I went to take Bitcoin out, this was before we did the podcast. I oh, I, I was going to take credit. I did. even. I've done. I've, I've improved even substantially from this point, but you know, went go to take Bitcoin out at the end of the NFL season. And, uh, it had gone up so much in that 
time that I went in with four Bitcoin and I came out with two, even though I had US dollar wise had done so well sports betting. So yep. you, know, you kind of, you go through this cycles and you're like, oh shit, like, okay, this is, there's a very specific, uh, you know, there's a, a very, um, you know, speculative value in owning and holding some Bitcoin and keeping that as part of your overall kind of fun money, you know, the lottery ticket type of, uh, you know, or, or not lottery, not, not lottery ticket necessarily, but like this is disposable income that I'm going to use to spend on vacations and presents and stuff like that. Uh, and that's kind of been my, most of my financial strategy and, and then investments and stuff for retirement and, you know, like actual kind of wealth building, I kind of stick to more traditional markets. Uh, and then, you know, this is just kind of on the side in case, uh, you know, something happens to, you know, explode in the Bitcoin space. But um, that's you know, a I, good point on why they like, I think why the two have mixed and melded so much just because we've used Bitcoin as such a utility to. Yeah. You use Bitcoin just yeah. as a, as a, an intermediary and not as much of like a, an actual investment. I, I um like, I have Bitcoin money that, that doesn't get touched that like is not, it's not for sale. It's not for, um, sports betting. Like when I need to, when I need to make a transaction, I will, um, you know, buy some in us dollars, move it to my ledger and then move it to wherever else. But like the, like the actual, you like the actual Bitcoin that I want to have for good. is just, it's on my, it's on my ledger and it's not, it's nice. not going to go anywhere. Like that's a, that's a separate thing. And same for, same for stocks. I think the, I guess the three of us are not in this category, but a lot of guys in our space are like, traders right or or at least sure. they think they, they, they think are they now are. like all yeah they are now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you see you see sports go yeah. yeah i mean i mean i the certainly this period of not having sports to watch every day has been the most invested i've ever been in the financial markets because it's you know it's nice to have a sweat and also everyone listening to this and i assume you guys too like just the fact that DraftKings stock was on sale for 17 18 19 dollars that first day and now it is I mean, it's the, it is the most explosive stock on the market, really. It's, you know, it just goes up 5% every day, it feels like. There are, there are definitely a lot of guys in our space who um, feel that they have a really good handle on the financial markets, whether they do or not. And I, I'm like, I don't, I don't include myself in that in the sense that I think I have a good handle on it, but there are people who certainly would like feel more comfortable buying a stock on Monday, selling it on Friday than they would have three months ago. Like, so there are probably more people who are using some of their gambling money on, uh, on Robin hood or, uh, Charles Schwab or whatever. I know that's, that happened. Like somebody, somebody paid me out on cash app and that has like a shitty trading app. And all of a sudden I was like, I was day trading. (laughs) And and then I realized like, I'm like, Oh shit, I made a bunch of money on this again. Like I just hit a couple lucky ones because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I tried to sell a stock. And it's like, oh no, you can't do that. You've reached your limit on day trades, sir. We we discourage day trading here, so you you can sell this tomorrow morning. And like, I wake up in the morning and check the the pre you know the pre market numbers, and it dropped like a rock, <laughs> and I ended up losing money. Like, I need to get this into like an actual an actual investment uh, site because that yeah. was a problem. Yeah. So, but, speaking, you know, did you see well, Bitcoin? It's ten yeah, three. It's, yeah, it's ten k. As what? we as we are speaking right now, and, you know, you never you never know. 10. You never know 3. what's going to happen. Oh literally in the the hours that follow yeah. when we are recording. But as of yeah. as of least literal yeah. moment that we are recording, uh, we are we are trading at like about uh, ten point one. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but no, kind of in the same sort of sentiment that you had, uh, Davis. The um, uh, when the 
speculative bubble went up in uh, December 2017, like that was like so impossibly good that yeah. uh, and I had a good, I had a decent amount at the time, and it you know ten you, you make an investment that 10 x's you're just like you're you're you can't make rational decisions anymore. And at that <laughs> point, I was like, okay, well, I'm taking I'm taking some profits here. And I'm buying a, I think I bought, you bought a ledger. I bought a treasure and I was like, the rest of this is going on this and I'm putting it, you know, somewhere safe and whatever happens in 2020, 2022, we'll, we'll revisit this, you know, like that was sort of my thinking at the time. And so I definitely kind of think of that in the same sort of like, you know, Hey, I'm holding onto this, you know, rare piece of, uh, you know, memorabilia that, uh, you know, that may end up being, you know, like the, the next, uh, you know, you know, may, may end up being the next, uh, you know, spec, you know, absolutely impossibly good uh, investment to have, but, uh, but maybe not. So the, uh, but, but the utility part of it and, you know, how you manage a bankroll and, you know, what you're doing with that, like it's, I kind of have the same sort of philosophy where it's like, you know, once you have enough profit that you can take some and then not really hurt the initial, uh, you know, egg that you started with, that's kind of my overall philosophy. And so some, sometimes that's tied into if I have a specific, point of view on um you know on a futures or you know like a specific point of view on you know playing the uh the nba playoff like uh, uh series markets or something like that like i'll get a little bit more put more time into it from a handicapping perspective put more money into it uh and then take whatever the profits are out of that and entirely independent of whatever the bankroll i started was yeah, I, I think that, uh, and I, I need to, I need to make this clear. I've never taken any profits on Bitcoin, and I won't. I, I I'm not doing it until 100k or whatever. Like I just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a true believer that I just like, what am I going to sell at 10k and make, you know, a little bit like, it's, it's not going to change my life until Bitcoin is like a life changing thing. You know, what's your, what's your bull case? Like, what is the prime? What's the fundamental uh, reason that you are bullish on it to that tune? The United States this year alone has printed $3 trillion and there's a, about a, about 10,000 Bitcoins mined a month. And that, that might be high, right? Because of, because of the halving and because, um, you know, some, some miners are just, it's going to become too expensive. So, you know, o- over time, less and less big, like, so actually this is, this is, I just read an article this morning, this, uh, this crypto fund grayscale, just this one crypto fund, it's confirmed that they have purchased more Bitcoins this month than have been mined. So like it's, it's literally an asset that, that is hard to get and, yeah. and so many people want it. It, it. it is becoming like every day it's becoming harder and harder and scarcer and scarcer to buy Bitcoins. But you think that basically, uh, uh, you think basically one. that the, yeah, that will, yeah, the IRS is basically coming out, you know, going after uh, uh, just who is, who is buying and holding. Uh, because they recognize it as a, you know, as, as people who are right. accumulating wealth. Um, but you think it's mostly that, that, that the retail investors and the demand from the retail investment side is going to drive the, uh, the next poll? No, I think, I think um, institutional investing, because we're finally seeing investing. it. Okay. So got we, it, we are, we are okay. like, I think as far as retail investing, the, the, the most we were ever going to see was that uh, November, December 2017 run, right? Like I, I just, sure. I don't know if, even if Bitcoin does become worth insane amounts of money, I don't know if we will ever see a retail run where like your uncle was asking you to set him up with a Coinbase account to buy a hundred dollars worth of, of Bitcoin. Like I, I don't know if we'll ever see that sort of um, mania again, but it's like, it's confirmed that some of these big 
you know, very institutional investing firms are starting to expose their clients. You know, they're very, very rich clients to Bitcoins and, and mm. in ways that their clients don't understand a lot of the time, but like it's, it's, uh, it's starting to happen. Mm. So that's, I that's saw that same article, Davis, and that did like exactly what you said. It made me feel like if, if big institutions are buying that amount of that it, much and there are this many miners that are, you know, going offline because their electricity has become too so expensive, expensive that they, they can't mine at a profit anymore. Like legitimately we could create actual tangible on, on paper scarcity, which would yes. be just great. Just yeah, great it's it's the same it's the same argument that has ever existed for gold, except like we actually know there's a legitimate finite amount. Like theoretically, there's like more ways to get gold. Like there might be gold on other planets and stuff. Like really, like that's a, that's a thing that like could happen. And there's more gold to be found in the Earth, and we we don't know how much, but we know that it's there. Um, no one knows the actual amount of gold that exists in the world. But like we know there it's two it's twenty one point eight five million bitcoins that will ever exist, right? Um, and there just there will never be any more than that, which is yeah. uh, this, that that's my soapbox. Every everyone on this podcast is is always so sick of hearing me <laughs> talk about it. But, uh, but yeah, that's my that's my soapbox. If you want to um, get just if you want to get delusionally optimistic, start thinking through. Uh, what happens when there's like a liquidity shortage in foreign markets for paying debt uh, yeah. and you know how currencies and you know, foreign market currencies start to lose value and how uh, the wealthy people in emerging markets will seek something that's more stable than their, than their, their, their home sure. currency. Like I don't, I think the people who, who kind of poo poo the bolt case, which is that, you know, U S you know, U.S. dollar printing will beget inflation, and this is an inflation, you know, resistant, you know, uh, commodity. Like I, I don't think that's as likely or as meaningful. I don't even think you need that. I, you literally like you just need one more Venezuela. You know, you just need yeah. one more or one or two more, uh, you know, emerging markets to completely lose control of their currency for whatever reason. Uh, and then those people seek Bitcoin as a store of, uh, you know, store of value. And, and as more and more people become yeah. technically proficient and people who are not technically proficient, um, you know, either, either turn their money over to, you know, their, their kids or their financial advisors. And there are more and more guys who are, you know, our age, you know, late twenties, early thirties who are, you know, in upper management positions at these hedge funds. And, you know, in, in college, they probably, bought Bitcoin or got, were exposed to Bitcoin and they're like, Oh, this isn't some crazy, um, you know, this isn't funny internet money. There's like real reasons to be invested in this. And those guys voices are going to get like Jamie Dimon's going to stop talking. And you know, uh, these, these 32 year old hotshot hedge fund managers are going to be like, yeah, let's buy $3 million worth of Bitcoin. No, James, JP Morgan's already on board. Jamie Dimon's already turned his, uh, is that uh, true? I, I literally, yeah, I just, yeah. I can't even recent, keep track of that anymore. Anyway, I don't know if Jamie Dimon personally, but whatever the case is, JP Morgan is a major player now. Anyway, the, uh, the, the entire philosophy I went into last NFL season with was like the having is coming. I'm going to accumulate as much Bitcoin via sports betting as I possibly can this year. Like previous years, I was like, I have this trip in mind that I want to pay for with the sports, you know, with a, with a run. Uh, but this last year, it's been almost entirely go? like I want to accumulate well, now I can't go anywhere. So it's it literally is. Uh, yeah, no, no uh, vacations to plan for. Just stack sats. Yeah, right. Just exactly stack sats and uh, retire uh, retire early, ideally. Yeah, um, <laughs> we can talk Satoshis. some. 
Yeah, we can talk some uh, NFL futures at uh, at uh, the end of the show. We can we can go over now to some of the questions that uh, that you guys have for me now. Okay, cool. Uh, Andy, why don't you go first? <laughs> oh, you. I mean, you wrote all these questions, which God bless you. You had more time than me today, apparently, because I just could not find the time. But basically, you covered everything I was thinking about because. Davis is so much more fantasy and DFS fluent than us. Like, I mean, I kind of exposed how stupid I am with DFS. I played two entries in a tournament that takes 150 max entries. So, I mean, obviously I'm not good at DFS. Not great. Not great. There are contests that are good if you only want to do two, but they don't have 50K to first. Yeah. Yeah. No, like essentially I got fifth. And, you know, a $10 entry wins like 40 bucks. Yeah, <laughs> because you you actually you know tied with like because of all the chops. People. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of chops. Like uh, nobody won the big prize. It was a big, big chop at the top. So I guess DFS is uh, I'm dumb with that. But the the second the second question here kind of made me think, like, what were the key points on your journey to becoming like an expert in this is DFS? Like every time I think about DFS, I get a headache. Because it's it, it just feels like you're approaching the market, the same. You're approaching the exact same markets we're approaching sports yeah. betting, but you got to come at it from such a different angle because it's not just find the best price, bet it, you know, compare your numbers, find value. It almost sounds like I'm making sports betting sound easy compared to DFS, and I guess in my mind it, it is because I just am so unfamiliar with so much of the game theory that I do it mostly for fun. So I mean, how did how did you get to this point? Well, so DFS did not used to be hard. Like when you like when playing in like 2013, 2014, DFS like you could you could win if you just like all your guys were in the lineup and and like not bad players. Like like NBA like I built my role for like life in um like NBA daily fantasy in like 2012, 2013, 2014 when you know, no one really had projections. Um, even injury updates weren't like, you know, Fantasy Labs has their account that everyone follows that like the second an injury report gets updated, it goes out to everybody. But like you used to have to like Twitter search for guys' names to like find out if guys were going to be playing or not. Like it, it I, I can't like, it doesn't make me special that I was a winner then. Basically, it just meant that I was like a college kid who had time and was like willing to grind a little bit you know more or less and then there was uh I mean I don't even know how much you guys know about like the ins and outs of DFS like do you know do you know about Ethan Gate do you know what that was no I'm gonna say so Ethan Ethan Haskell was an employee of DraftKings oh I do I do know yeah who who won a tournament on FanDuel um and you know it was it was basically intimated that he was using the ownership percentages that he knew on DraftKings because he he accidentally posted an article early that had ownership percentages in them from contests that it had locked, but the players had not locked yet. So it was basically intimated that this guy was cheating. And and this was after all those FanDuel and DraftKings commercials were on everyone's TV all the oh, time, yeah. right? And um, there was all and then basically that that drove a lot of the good money out of the market, you know, kind of very similar to like how poker in the United States, you know, if you were, even if you were playing live games professionally before Black Friday, just no one plays cards anymore. Like the only people that play, that play poker from like 2010 to 2015 in the States were just like criminals or, or grinders. Like that was it. There were just no good games. And DFS kind of had that period. 
And now everyone has access to projections. Everyone has access to lineup optimizers. So creating winning lineups is um, just way, way more about game theory, right? Anticipating what your opponents are going to do and finding ways to exploit that strategy. You know, basically just finding those very small edges or kind of what you guys or, or what Andy does for college basketball and just playing really small contests for sports that people don't care about. Like I, I set my alarm clock for 6.30 this morning to uh, set my lineups for Danish Super League uh, mm. soccer DFS on, on DraftKings, right? And like I'm getting like, you know, $350 of action in that slate, but it's all good action where like every game I get is going to be good basically and that's um that's like the other thing that people do but people who are really profitable at it now are they have a ton of money to put into it and they are really good at game theory of just like these players are not going to be owned at the level that they should be and this group of players is going to be owned way more than they should be and that's how i'm gonna exploit it mm. well love that okay okay i had a yeah, you always hear people say like i'm i'm fading this player you know and like I, I had to think about it. I asked one guy, I'm like, what, what, how the hell? He's like, Oh, you just don't put them in lineups. I'm like, Oh, I feel stupid asking now. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. Like you, you take a, you know, a player that's going to be popular and just don't put them in lineups. And if it doesn't work, I suppose it's freaking disastrous, but yeah, yeah it's, it's also like accepting that, um, you know, in a lot of slates, you're just, you're not going to get money back. Right. Like, let's say, um, you know, I'm, I play 150 lineups, um, every night for a month in baseball. And realistically, what you're trying to do is win the big tournament that you were entering over that time frame once, you know, mate, like if you win first place in the big contest that you were putting 150 lineups and you win that twice in one season, that, uh, that makes your year. And if you just run bad and you get third instead of first twice, like that can mean you have like a negative ROI year. It is, it wow. is, um, it is it is a real real grinders game if you are gonna be um, max entering right and people like yeah it's like uh, you know people just think it's easy right you 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 enter one fifty and you win and uh, I've I've done it and uh, like so for baseball in like baseball last year um, DraftKings actually has this great contest for people who want to enter one hundred fifty lineups but don't you know literally don't have literal millions of dollars they have a, a one dollar um, it's, and it's generally either 2000 or $3,000 to first, and you can put in 150 teams. And I won that three times over the course of the year, four times over the course of the year. But I only, I think my ROI was like 10%. And that was with getting first, what would, what would be for sure above my expected value of those entries. So like it, it's not easy. Mm, got it. That's interesting. So it's in a similar, similar way <laughs> in a lot of similar way, uh, you know, to be successful long-term is about understanding the market, understanding the players in the market and, and, uh, and, and understanding them. your edge and, and, and exploiting your edge as much as, as much as possible instead of like, if, if you don't have an edge, you're, you're just, you know, putting bad money after bad basically. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of that. In I, I guess I did listen to, <laughs> I did listen to, some I don't remember who it was on a podcast who talked about his DFS and he said like you know all the 50-50s or double ups or whatever head to heads I'm playing that's just so hopefully I break even every day that I don't win a giant tournament he's mm -hmm. like hopefully I don't or I don't lose too much he's like you just it pays it pays for your max entries on the one where right you just need that that good lineup you need a little bit of variance, which is and you have so, a huge win 
like that is what professionals were doing when the games were good, right? 2013, 2014, 2015, they were, they were playing one team and they were entering that one team into every contest. Like they were going in the DraftKings lobby with one team and literally putting that contest in every game that they could get action on, you know, so like Empire Maker, um, Sahil sued when he was around, like, and that just, I mean, some people still do it. And these are, these are, you know, top 0.1% players who can do that beat the rake and, and, you know, not, not get crushed. It's, it's very hard um, at the highest stakes, you know, very similar, very similar to poker in the sense of like, it's just the, 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 the margins are, are super, super thin. Wow. That's yeah, interesting. Like, like those games are, are kind of dead now. Like, like finding, like to be able to get like $20,000 in, in action on an NBA slate now you'd either have to be playing people who are super good and you, you think you have like a margin thin edge on. So you got to play them 200 times in a year for that edge to be exploited, or you're just getting that money down in tournaments instead. Wow, man. Yeah. And I'm done doing NASCAR ones that can suck my butt. Like <laughs> I, I, yeah, have, Na- NASCAR I run, is I super bad. game theory heavy. Yeah. I run bad in NASCAR. Like uh, I don't remember who it was that, um, not the not this last race, but the race before, who basically just took like negative nineteen positions because he just was going to start the race and then drive off and not race because of something. And it's like, oh, all your lineups are dead, basically <laughs> oh, at that cool. point. Like, cool. Obscene. I won't even watch that. Yeah. <sighs> yep. Just so MMA what, uh, for me. Just just MMA savant. So how how many years have you been putting into uh, creating content for DFS? Out of curiosity. I started my own website in late 2010. So it'll late be a 2010. It's, it's been, it's been a decade. Okay. So you basically, so you basically have been around and participating in creating content through like the entire life cycle of the DFS content space, right? Like you saw the, that was 2010. I imagine that was super early. Yeah, like uh, I, I've you... played, I've played on, I've played DFS on sites that like people who started playing five years ago have never heard of, like Daily Joust, like, like, oh, like I, I played, <laughs> I played on, that. I played on a site that that um, used like defensive special teams in in college football, which like you can imagine the scoring for that just gets you know absolutely absurd, right? So like, yes, I, I've I've seen, I have definitely seen it all as it pertains to daily fantasy sports. That's for sure. Okay, so how I about play, I played on an off-brand site once? Are there any of those left, or did they just all get bought? Um, there are there are a couple left. Um, like the last one that I had money on. Let's even see if it still exists. Okay, let's take bets right now. Do we think I have any money left on FantasyDraft.com? Do we think that when I log Fantasy into my account, draft. do we think I'm going to have any money left? Yes, you always leave something there just in case That's you hear rake, about a bad rake number. Free da- daily fantasy, bud. It, yeah, it was like you had to subscribe, <laughs> right? You like you pay like ten dollars a month, and then you could pay rake free. I when I when I'm done playing at a place, unless they've like shut me down specifically in terms of limits and action, I'm you leave like fifteen bucks on, yeah, fifty bucks in there just in case you hear like, holy crap, they are way off market on blank, and just you go fire it away. You don't want to have to wait for the. You don't want to have to wait for the Bitcoin. Uh, even you know, when I drew down when sports stopped, I still left you know, 500 bucks. I have, I have my, $5 dollars left on fantasydraft.com. $5. Which is, which is theoretically a daily fantasy site that still exists, though I, I can't imagine um, they, have, they have very much going on. They, it's just D, DK and FanDuel, just have, they got to have like a 99% market share at this point. 
Jesus. Wow. Yeah, I played on one. It started with an A, and I can't remember it. And I liked it. They had some fun, like, uh, survivor contests that rolled. Like, they started every week. And then I remember the next year, it was like, oh, this site got bought. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, there were – my, my favorite ever site was Draft Street, which – is like a dinosaur it's like a dinosaur reference at this point like like people (laughs) people listening to this are like draft street what are you talking about but that was that was actually a site where the pricing was so good and so dynamic for nba that like people who were really really good and really paying attention actually did have like a a really big edge like if you were projecting the right minutes for sacramento's third string point guard you were getting an edge there that's awesome that is awesome I love stories oh, yeah, like my, that. That definitely just, yeah, just makes my head spin space. thinking about modeling that hard at the at the player level for NBA. Well, I have never, I nice. have never built, I have never built um, a model. I just have always had access to really, really good projections and have been diligent about making you know like manual adjustments and stuff. But like sure. I don't, I don't have the modeling like skills or background at all. Mm, got it, got it, got it. What about the, so from the content side of things? You've seen kind of how the space has changed in 10 years and daily fantasy, you know. So the, different. The way, yeah. Um, what do you think about the way that uh, sports betting content is evolving? What do you think the ceiling is? Do you think at some point we catch the same number of eyeballs, your balls as, you know, you typically have in a daily fantasy? Do you oh, think that's coming fast? I think it's already turning. I think people – so, one, I mean, what you guys are saying is – I don't. I actually think beating the market long term in sports betting is way harder than beating the market in daily fantasy. Like I, I think you are. You're so much more likely to be a winner. Um, you know, if you're if you're working hard, you're selecting the right contest. You are you know really diligent about who you, like like oh like I'm not good at entering 150 teams, so I'm gonna enter single entry contests for a higher dollar level. You know, like hundred dollars single entry, fifty dollars single entry. Um, like beating, beating sports betting is a lot harder, but it's so much easier to just run hot on sports betting over like a a short period and, and to convince yourself you're a winner. And it's like more fun too. It's, it's less like, if you're not taking it super seriously, it's just way less work to bet 10 bucks on a Broncos game or 20 bucks on a Lakers game. Like it's just, it's like a little bit more fun. Um, and there's still stuff that is exploitable for people who are not trying to get thousands of dollars down, like player props and stuff like that. Like I, I, everyone in daily fantasy is vying to get into that sports betting market as the tide turns. Like everyone knows like that's where the money is because so many more people are going to be interested in that, willing to spend money on it. Like it just, it's not even close. Mm. It was an interesting question though. Like you, I saw you pose that and you, you know, you basically posed it as, when will sports betting content reach the level of DFS content? And I'm, you know, I just think about most of what I, you know, podcasts, articles, that, that is a big part of it. But a lot of what I take in, it's just Twitter. And I'm yeah. just so able to curate my own Twitter. Yeah. I had to think, I'm like, is DFS way bigger than sports betting? Just because, you know, obviously I follow a few DFS people, but, like I'm sure there's people that are just hardcore to DFS and they, all they do is follow DFS people and like all their content is curated that way. And maybe they feel it's the other way, but you know, I, I don't see a ton of DFS content just cause I, I don't choose to follow too many, you know, I follow like Davis and Jennings and a few other people. And 
that, that's about it for TFS. So I, I don't see but, a lot but of it But you across. even see people like, like me, like Jennings, like I, I get way more interaction on like betting stuff now than I would like, especially like when you, when you lose a bet, right. People just love to be like, Oh, you tweeted this bet and you lost. Like you're such an idiot. Like (laughs) people, people love, yeah. People love that stuff. Oh yeah. Mistake number one right there. Big time. Like I, I like to, I like to post (laughs) soccer bets, which I'm not good at, but I like, I would never write an article about betting on soccer because like, I just, that's not something I'm taking seriously at all. Like that's, that's just fun for me because I like to watch soccer and, and like people just love to rail on those bets. Like just cause it's fun. It's fun. It's fun to <laughs> it laugh is. at someone when they lose. I, I guess it's, it's easier to follow along because like if you say, Hey, I'm betting on Brondby, like let's stick to the Danish soccer league there or whatever. And I'm betting them minus one tomorrow. Like somebody just go to their book and bet that where it's like, Hey, yeah, I'm no thought required at all. Yeah, no right, thought yeah. where it's like, Hey, I'm entering 150 lineups into it. And if you want, here's a spreadsheet <laughs> and you can look at them all and, and chop all these pots with me if you'd like, like nobody, I, I guess somebody might, you know, oh, no, there are still and, people there. Like there's still people who like sell lineups, which is like uh, this whole, this whole scummy DFS thing. Like it, it does happen. Sure. It's, it's against the terms of service on both DraftKings and FanDuel, but it did, it does still sort of happen. But like, I actually, this is not a popular opinion at all. I actually, like, I really like to talk about DFS with people. I really like to, like, go on shows and be like, this is what I think about these plays. Um, and as, as we were talking about the evolution of daily, fan, daily fantasy content, it used to be I would go on a show and I'd be like, these are the guys I want to play in cash games, right? Head-to-heads, double-ups, 50-50s. And now it's pretty much exclusively – tournament strategy talk so like i like this guy mm. i think he's going to score a lot of points but he's going to be way over owned relative to this guy who's priced right next to him who has like a lower baseline but a similar ceiling so it's like that evolution i mean you just i don't even know if people are even still like doing like cash game content like like pit like picks content like that that stuff is not popular at all anymore wow i, I get into some of that i like th- i love listening to the game theory part of that like uh um, my guys that do some golf, uh, Haven and JD, they don't do a ton of DFS, but uh, like we find some pretty good edges on some daily golf stuff. I think that's golf why DFS, I haven't played golf DFS is amazing, by the way. I would say yeah, that is the most fun. fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, just sure. like the the showdowns, the daily showdowns. Showdowns, ones, yes. Like that. That's almost exclusively. That's probably ninety percent of my DFS play over the last year. It's just it's like the best man. There, there's like an edge in the morning. I'm gonna put together like ten lineups with all morning guys, and I'm gonna turn like fifty bucks into like two hundred. Like that's as you know, that's about as advanced as I get on this stuff. And honestly, like some of those angles that like we discuss, like I should be putting a lot more money on that because they usually work out when there's a stupid. I mean, if edge you there. like, if you feel that there are legit bad pricings because of like weather bumps or like. Uh, like a thing that happens a lot in the format you're talking about showdown golf is like guy who sucks on Thursday will be $300 cheaper on Friday and will be 8% owned instead of 20% owned. And like, these are just like very obvious spots that, um, and, and the Uh, reason, yes, the reason why there is this edge by the way, in daily fantasy showdown golf is people do not do content for it because the turnaround's too much. Like, right. Your, your content would be good for it from the time the pricing comes out to the time the slate locks, you'd have like 
10 hours, maybe 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So people are not doing content for it. And there are projections for it on the site that I work for daily Roto, but a lot of places don't even have, you know, like good projections for it. So that makes the market softer too. Well, this is fascinating. So you're saying that you know, you can see a signal in the quality of pricing and the quality of, um, you know, the ability you're there's, there's a, there's a correlation between how great an edge is in any given fantasy game that you play and how, how much content there is out there. For 100%, 100%. Like, like think about this. For no sure. one has Wild. anything original to say about the NFL. Literally you could, you could, you'd like, no, like every word that could be said about an NFL player for a Sunday slate on DraftKings, I couldn't say anything original about it. If I, took acid and locked myself in a room with a typewriter and tried to say something original. I just, it just is literally an impossibility because too many people are doing it. But like, sure. uh, like, you know, tennis slates on DraftKings, like not that much content, no good projections. Showdown golf is one of them. Soccer has um, the guys over at Rotowire do really good content for it, but there are not like, it's too hard of a game to model at a player level. So like there are, there are big edges in those games a lot. Like if the, if the content and the projections are not, super super like really good and there's not loads of information there's going to be way more edges on slates wow everything you're saying too it's like stuff i use in my head-to-heads like my daily golf betting same 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 concept yeah it's dumb how much of what i do would translate over to dfs and i just don't put time and effort into it because like it's a bandwidth question though like how much you know do, do you don't you think something would would give there would be some something would suffer you yeah, no, but for sure, like you've already up? you've already done the work, like like just like David. Yeah, if you've said, already done the work to to determine player values for a day of golf, like on betting yeah. round three matchups, that exactly. same that work is like one to one for Got like it. especially if, if Andy was only going to make one team and enter that into like the tw- the twenty dollar, the twelve dollar, the five dollar GPPs, like th- like those teams would all be solid, like probably I would imagine so without what, too much so extra what, work. Uh, so what has a higher hold? Where you where's your money more effectively played? I mean the the hold notes? the hold for these showdown contests. If you're not entering like the lotto one, which is like ten dollars to enter, like ten k to first, like the hold on that's probably going to be fifteen percent. And there's like there's a good app that you can or a, a good a Chrome app that you can use that calculates the hold and stuff for you. Oh, cool. I would I would imagine the holds are going to be really similar, like fourteen fifteen percent probably. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I've always done just like when I end up doing this, it's like, hey, we have a we have a wave edge. You know, there's guys that are playing in the morning are gonna have maybe yeah. a stroke, stroke and a half edge. Like we definitely need to look at playing some daily some daily uh what do you call them, showdowns for round two or whatever what have you. And I'll almost exclusively play like fifty fifties or you know, double ups, whatever, just because it's like, man, this these are almost all gonna hit. Like if this doesn't just completely blow up in my face, like this, this isn't going to, this will work. This almost always works. So I don't really get into the high tournaments with that. Cause those aren't the kind of lineups I think that, that blow up and win tournaments. It's not that kind of edge. And I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm completely wrong. I mean, that. I mean, theoretically, like if you are rostering golfers that make a lot of birdies and Eagles and stuff like they, they should translate pretty well. Like when I, so what I do for showdown a lot of the time is, if I have like extra time at night, I will, you know, I'll go up on my computer and I'll get everything set up to do, I'll do, um, you know, make a hundred teams or whatever. 
But if I like, if I'm just, you know, sitting down at my computer in the morning, it locks at nine o'clock in the morning. I'll, I'll just make one team, you know, I'll, I'll use the, I'll use our projections that we have on daily Roto and I'll, you know, I'll just figure out the values and kind of hand make and just make one team, which I think you could do with the stuff you're doing pretty easily. Good deal. Yeah, I mean, half, half of the stuff I'm doing it, like you said, it's, it's not just betting on guys. It's fading at the same time. It's like, yeah, man, I have, I have a double edge here. These guys are golfing. These guys are going to golf when the wind kicks up to 20 miles an hour. Like I'm just going to fade anybody who's golfing after like 1 PM because it just doesn't make sense to put any of those in the lineup. And these 50 50s should hit at like an 80% clip. <laughs> like, and then I, and then I, I say so all that and then I barely put any money on it. It's but no, fun. but you, so what you're saying though, is like, there's a finite number of matchups of, of offered and sometimes they're engineered in a specific way. There's this, there's sometimes they're engineered in a way that, prevents you from taking advantage of stuff like that but with uh you don't necessarily have that ceiling uh, with the daily fantasy it sounds like right well there's triple ups too. yeah i mean yeah i mean you can you can get uh theoretically like an infinite amount of action on i mean not infinite yeah. but a lot like as well, i'm sure as much as andy would be willing to take on for you know if he was like you know uh you know Han, he's got the he's got the good wave split and he's $500 underpriced and he's not going to be like super owned. Like all you could go all in. Yeah. I love that. Well, pivoting back to football, I guess another new, another question for you. Um, there's going to be a whole new, uh, you know, th- every year there's a wave of, of new players. Right. And yeah. for sure where uh, you brought up the DraftKings uh, stock example, for instance, like that's obviously, that is not reflecting reality. Right. That is entirely speculative under the speculative, assumption that, yes. you know, as more states open up and they are a known brand and they have an, you know, syst- you know, a systematic advantage to capturing market share across all of this new betting space. Like, is it I, what does that do to daily fantasy, in your opinion? Do you think that there will be com- competition for the same pot of dollars between all of this here? Is it is the market robust and mature and established enough in daily fantasy that it exists on its own without really any speed bumps and we only see growth no. on the betting side? Like, what do you think happens? So DraftKings and FanDuel, if they had their druthers, they would shut down the DFS sites tomorrow and, and just have everyone bet, right? They... Sure. The DFS for them right now exists as one, you know, a way to keep their whales happy because there are guys who have won, you know, millions and millions of dollars on their site who are, you know, super users who are just going to, like, literally, they'll pay $100,000 in rake over the course of a year or whatever. And, makers, basically. Yeah, they want to they keep, keep those guys happy. So, you know, they don't want to get rid of the product for that reason. Um, but mostly they exist as a customer acquisition arm. And, you know, some guy, some guy in New Jersey binks the millionaire maker week one of NFL. He'll probably keep some money on the site to, uh, to play DFS, but also hopefully keep some of that money on his DK Sportsbook account, uh, you know, on his, his, his FanDuel casino account and, and play some online blackjack. And um, so, like, the, the DFS sites really do exist as cu- customer acquisition arms for the sportsbooks at this site. Like, both FanDuel and DraftKings, um, points bet, you know, all these uh, – all these – places that exist they're all in a war to get customers onto the sports books because the sports books are way more profitable than really get them onto the sports books so they can then get them and play in blackjack yeah i mean yeah ultimately ultimately, <laughs> oh ultimately get God. these dudes playing online slots right yeah right right that's right. uh that that's uh the happy birthday 
Yeah. So basically the DFS will give them a beer so that they can come smoke some pot spending sports so that they can really get into the, the heavy stuff uh, down, down the, uh, down the line with the blackjack. And yeah. I mean, and, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't think that like DFS is dead or anything like that, but I do think like the, the clear trend line of all of this stuff is more States legalize online sports betting. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they just, they continue to acquire those guys as much as possible. And my hope obviously is that, you know, not far behind sports betting is hopefully online poker. And then, you know, that, that exists as well. Oh God. And you think I that know, the, I totally the, called the pool, a casino today. Can the pool money keep Iowa. growing, growing? Oh, you did? Yeah. Cause it, I seen something come across from somebody said that Diamond Joe, the, the Iowa casino that'd be closest to me is open again. And they, I couldn't figure out on their website whether the sports book was open because I wanted to. It's a FanDuel account, and I, I want to be able to use that again. Yeah. And I, I actually had to call a casino today, and they're like, "Hey, is your sports book open, or what's going on? Your website doesn't say anything." Oh no, man, we don't know on that yet. We just want to get people in here to, you know, I know you want people to play slots. It's fine. Yeah. 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 What? Uh, so what then? The um, is the pool of money available for all of us the same pool same size roughly or is it grow exponentially like in, like, in terms uh, of in terms of player funds on the site for dfs yeah yeah i mean i think like if i was being optimistic i would say like it's bullish to just have more people have the sportsbook account long term because theoretically like there shouldn't be any difference like it should be easy to use those funds on both DraftKings uh, Sportsbook and DraftKings DFS. Like I, I think it's would be bullish long-term for DFS to have more people with accounts, more people with money on the site. Like if uh, you know, if you're, if you're, you're, uh, you're, your uncle Jerry, uh, you know, if he's got hundred bucks on there to, uh, to bet on bears games, like also like maybe, you know, maybe he plays in a $12 contest on the DFS site as well. So like, I, I think it's bullish to just have more people in the world of like, wagering on future outcomes of things for dfs but i i do think um sports betting is you know the the clear directive for these firms mm. do you think they need to be more creative on the sportsbook side to really capture the type of handle that they're dreaming here i mean like for these companies to be worth what the market would tell us they're worth now we need to be like getting closer to you know trillion dollar handle on the super bowl right right um I mean, it's like, it's, it, and again, like I, I should, I, like, I'm not some like business guru or anything. And like, I, I know the fine, like, I don't have behind the scenes information or anything. Like I, I just can kind of see the direction, like, you know, the big DFS sites, you know, like Roto Grinders and like the company that I work for sports grid, like we are all like all of our stuff is facing towards like, how can we do more betting content? How can we do more shows about betting? How can we get betting on TV? How can we partner with MGM and, and uh, Betfair and, you know, all, all these companies. So my, just my, my general feeling is that it's in that direction. I don't know how creative you have to be to get people to want to bet on sports. Like it's like, you know, we see in countries where it's just always been legal, right? Like, I, I don't mean, I don't know. Is, has betting ever been illegal in the United Kingdom? Probably better question for you guys yeah like it, it's literally just any like um i listen to i listen to this soccer podcast um the guardian football weekly which anyone who likes soccer by the way great podcast good listen um and these guys are journalists right they have they have no, they are not um sports betting experts they don't do sports betting content but these guys are like oh yeah i, I bet five quid on that game or whatever like they just it's just an ingrained part of what 
people do in that part of the world if they are interested at all in sports. And my guess would be long-term, that's the hope that American sports media takes mm. the direction of where it's just like, uh, you know, you have, you have Dan Patrick being like, oh yeah, I, I bet, I bet a hundred bucks on the Cowboys in this game. Just like very casually working it in, like, just like that's a part of what we do. Yeah. I think it's, you just nailed it though, which is way. the culture, the culture over there is $5 bets and the culture over here is a hundred dollar bets. Very true. Yeah. That that's the American way. Yeah, no, the, the whole American odd system just makes everybody want to bet a hundred dollars or at least some multiple of it. It's yeah. kind of silly. Or, or 10 bucks, right? They... 10 bucks, 10 bucks or a hundred bucks. Never 50. Yeah. Never 50. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. it's funny. Like you mentioned, it makes me think like how long have they been just degenerates over in England? Well, that's just it though. They don't, they're, it's forever. All, it's, they're it's probably literally betting on like, jousting. How, but why is there, why is the average size of the stake of the punter so low over there relative do to we, here? Be, because it is, is a part, because, because everyone does it, right? If, if Everyone's if adjusted. We, problem gambling's not as big a deal over there or what? Well, I think, prob, like, I think problem gambling still exists over there. Like there's been stories of like, you know, old soccer players and coaches and stuff, they get into it and it you know, leads them to a life of ruin or, or whatever. You know, you, you get that everywhere. But my, my guess would be that they have – less instances of that because it's like you know it's just like whatever you know your grandma your grandma bets five dollars on the Sunderland game on the weekend you know <laughs> yes right 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 well right. it's like every you see that like especially in old pictures of like the pub you go down yeah. to the pub and there's a chalkboard behind it and it has like the you know the football matches on there and everybody or oh boy boxing big over there yeah 100 percent. they bet on a just all kinds of stuff that we don't really get into as much over here, but it's just so, like you said, it's ingrained into the society and maybe that's why people, and I still, I'd love to see that. Cause like I try to, I almost tried to call drew out a little on like, do we know their average bet size is actually smaller? Is it anecdotal? But like, I feel like I, anecdotally i feel like it probably is just yeah anecdotally i feel very and i i still feel like it's probably accurate because it just it's just kind of a little part of their lifestyle like you know yeah like, every every like corner people has play a, fantasy here like everybody just oh it's my team i'm gonna bet on them because uh you know it's it's my squad I so them. that's you know actually a great point you make they don't play season-long fantasy there at all like they don't do like like a like going to do a draft with their buddies just like that is totally foreign to them. Whereas like everyone plays in a fantasy football league in the United States, right? Like it's, it's it's literally like a huge permeation. And um, like, that's that, like the actual biggest market of all this stuff is season long fantasy football. That is, that is the biggest money generator in, in all of this stuff that we're talking about is season long fantasy football. And that's mostly just because of the eyeballs, right? I mean, it's just because the participation is so high. Yeah, and and everyone, every like, so let's say let's. Not, those are all no the barrier. Room, you know, the like barrier that. to entry is so low. So low, like, and you and can you have figure three it leagues. out. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we had a freaking TV show, right? The league, like, it's just, it's just, it is, it is, uh, you know, very similar to how they make five dollar bets. We do twenty dollar leagues with our coworkers or our friends sure. or whatever. Sure. So then, yeah, here's the million dollar question, maybe the billion dollar question, which is, are we? overestimating how many hundred dollar betters are there are in America. Is that a function of the fact that people are, you know, largely betting on credit 
Uh, and it's a different I mean, world if you're betting on credit than if you're posting up. And maybe like the natural evolution here is if you're going to grow the number of players from 10,000 to 100,000, that 90,000 you're getting, maybe they're all $5 players. In the, in the world we live in now, like I would have probably had a different answer to this question six months ago, but you know, we're, we're literally seeing record jobless claims like the, the median income, you know, the, the gaps are, are all widening here in, in the States, like in the world we live in now, I think maybe it's, it's possible we're overestimating the number of hundred dollar betters, but maybe underestimating the number of thousand dollar betters, right? Like that, that could be, that could be a thing where like, it just becomes um, like a, a, a luxury activity almost. Sure. That <laughs> a lot of thousand dollar betters aren't really allowed to play at uh, some of these books we're naming. Oh, anyway. if they're, if, that's, if a, they're that's a whole other conversation. If they're bad, they are right. If they're just if they're off, if they're, they're chasing bad, if they're yeah, chasing right, bad right. lines, then they're fine. Yeah, right, th- right, right. Like five thousand dollar betters aren't actually five thousand dollar betters. They're five hundred dollar betters with ten accounts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, or ten right. other people's accounts. Currently, currently, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than the mattress max of the world, right? I mean, um, but there, there is fantasy. Like I've seen fantasy EPL. Like the, you know, people in England they talk about their like, they're managing their team or whatever. And I feel like it's actually, I think it's the actual league that manages it. Like I think you play through the actual Premier League's website. I'm not yeah, it, and, but it's it's not. It's I played that game. It's not for it's not for money. Like there's like a top. Like if you get first overall, you win. Yeah, I don't it's know, like a this car, giant, a car or something. Yeah, you're it's not huge. the league of like ten people. It's everybody. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's done on like salary cap and you like add guys and they um you can use like emergency substitutions. It's it's just like to the American mind, um, like I've never had the patience for it. I start it every year and I give up by like week six. Mm. Well, here's here's a last final question for you, and it's kind of a downer, so sorry to put this at the end, but uh the I feel like the fantasy space has been pretty poor at handling PR crises. The, uh, the, yes. um, <laughs> Super bad. The, the one you mentioned and a couple of other ones I've heard of have been abject disasters. Like, are they prepared for the potential, you know, the, the coming, uh, you know, PR battle that is, you know, the problem gambling that comes along with acquiring a hundred thousand new customers. Um, I would I would assume that they have hired um, better people, mm. right? Like I like I would I would just think, um, you know, like I would just I would just think that they would be better at it, that they would have more plans that they would be able to take examples of you know the way they handle it in Australia and the United Kingdom and um, India, you know, where, wherever um, wherever sports betting is, but like. Yeah, like you, we have in the outline here, like problem DFSers. Like I'm, I'm sure it exists, <laughs> but I, I can't recall. Besides Andy, yeah, I can't, I can't recall hearing much about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, they've I, kind of avoided this, and I don't know if that's good or bad, right? Like it could be bad because they don't have the experience, they don't have the playbook, but maybe it's good in that just people like won't ever really have the stomach or the spirit to go after them. I don't know. Yeah, back, I, I don't I mean, know. Back I don't to know that, either. Uh, the guy, you know, you told the little story about the guy banks a million dollars and he leaves some. Like, I don't have the DraftKings betting app. We don't have yeah. that around here. Like, I have FanDuel. Minnesota's not legal yet, mostly offshore. 
But like, how easy have they made that? Like, I have the DraftKings app. It's uh, it's it's That's very easy. So I went like to moving moving it from DFS to betting. Is it really easy? So I went to New Jersey for the Giants Dolphins game week fifteen or sixteen to go meet up with um the Dolphins running back Laird and um, oh, oh nice and we uh like literally like we touched down in New York. We get over to uh, we get over to New Jersey, and I'm like immediately like FanDuel app. I'm playing online blackjack like right away. Like no wait, <laughs> just just right in. Like it 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 is it is not hard. Well, I mean, to, if you have a DFS bankroll, like how easy is it to take that and use it to sports bet? Like, can you transfer so, from one to the other? So if I remember quickly? this, if I remember this, and if it. I if I if I get this wrong, anyone listening, I'm sorry. If I remember. DraftKings, it was just one to one where I could bring it over, and it was this. It was it was not segregated, and I think on FanDuel I had to deposit. Like I think mm, the the okay. sports book, or maybe maybe it was just the FanDuel casino was. Maybe I just had to put money on the because I think they have a deal. I think in the states FanDuel has a deal with Betfair to use their online casino. Um, so maybe that was why I had to put money on. But I I think I remember like I remember it on DraftKings not having to deposit more money. But again. That could that could be wrong. Like I, I mm. could be I could be misremembering that, but I I don't remember having to deposit money. Or maybe maybe I did and I got a free I free bet or something, and that's why I wanted to deposit. But I I think you can move the money, but maybe not. I don't know. I'm not mm. being helpful right now. I know that that's what that's my okay. whole. I was gonna go to Iowa today to test this out because like I keep seeing people posting. Oh, like hey, here's a good price, but it's at Fanduel. I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't have Fanduel yet. Like I've I've driven down there and place bets, but I need to go down there and get the mobile app because in a roundabout way, I, I feel like let me let me I'm ask let me ask Iowa. one of my buddies right now. Yeah, I feel like if I'm physically in the state of Iowa, I should be able to use the app. And, I think that's true, like, isn't it? So you like, you you, house, you can yeah. if you if you were in the borders because I I live in I live in Missouri and when I was in New Jersey, I could use the app. Yeah, because it's it's over an hour to this casino, but I can get to Iowa just in driving, 10 minutes. you know, yeah. straight, you know, straight line, book it for the border, cross the border, place some bets, which would just make me laugh <laughs> to begin with. But I, just because it's like a few times I've placed a bet and somebody's like responded like, "Hey, it's this price at Fanduel." I'm like, man, I would consider driving to the border to place that bet right now, or I don't know how complicated their technology is if you can override that somehow i don't want to this is no, i mean vpning v- 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 is a whole big um uh it's a it's a barrel of it's a barrel of worms right now in the the online poker community actually yeah. i feel yeah. like they use gps technology too to geofence yeah. you like you can't just vpn say hey i'm i'm using a computer in des moines i actually i actually got banned on that once um trying to enter contests i didn't know it was a banned state in montana i guess for whatever reason i went there to go see some family and i couldn't enter into games so i tried to vpn and and what it actually does is it it's like oh you didn't travel from uh missouri to kansas in uh eight seconds so boom banned and oh. like that that's how it works so they got you yeah wow. they got me wow oh, that's how they god that's yeah it's like uh the first time I, I want to say maybe the first trip to Vegas that we did during like a football season, my buddy's like, yeah, can't, can't placed, play DFS placed, in Vegas. Yeah, he had a guy get hurt and he's just like, I'm 
just screwed on all these lineups. Like this guy's in my lineups. I can't even open my app. Well, now yeah, I know. I know now. Else. If you if you enter if you enter before you get like so if you, if I I'm in Missouri, I drive to a band state. If I've already entered my con in my contest, I can edit the lineups. Oh wow! Okay, that's a good. Well, that's mighty nice of them. <laughs> it's all very complicated i wish they would make it i know they but US like federal from level, a business please. standpoint like making it so hey do you have a bunch of dfs money you should bet it hey do you have a bunch of betting money you should play dfs like making those that one bankroll would that would be a huge boon i'd think yeah remove the firewall right yep just well, throw it all throw I guess it all I, in the same pot just looking at the numbers from New Jersey gaming uh, and, you know, in the lack of sport, how many people are playing blackjack in the casino, uh, it is eye-opening. And it certainly isn't causing an uproar of, you know, pearl clutching. It's mostly just causing a stampede of investment. <laughs> like, I feel like, I guess that's good. I guess. I, I remembered, really? I remembered correctly. FD is, FanDuel is segregated. DraftKings is not in terms of the, the roles between the two sites. Yeah. Okay. I got to figure out where there's a DraftKings in Iowa too. I'm going to do like a barnstorming tour of Iowa, getting all the mobile apps in my phone. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, the, the FanDuel Sportsbook in New Jersey, that's a, that's a place. <laughs> don't know the if I would ever, one, yeah. yeah. Don't know. Don't know if I would, uh, don't know if I would ever go back. Oh, which, which casino is it in? Or is it not? The brick, is that a race? Is that a racetrack? The Meadowlands track, The Meadowlands track, yeah. Yeah, uh, not, not, uh, not like going to the sports book at the win. Very, very different. <laughs> oh, I just, I just looked up where the DraftKings is in Iowa, and it's at the Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Ooh, which if yeah. anybody has the time. Camping trip. Yeah, no, it's funny you should say that. If somebody wants to pull up a Google satellite image of wild rose casino and resort in clinton iowa there is a giant i believe this is the one it has a big spot for parking rvs next to it like oh, yeah. it's mostly rv parking it's in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yes i'm going to clinton iowa <laughs> all right get the rv up man all right well that Sounds was great. Uh, that, you answered all my questions and more about the daily fantasy industry we'll have to do a part two of this after i kind of digest some of this and come up with a dozen more yeah if uh, uh i mean we're, we're getting we're getting golf back if uh i mean andy you could be playing outlaw tour dfs man what are you doing that might be we got some we got some hot leads on some outlaw and some cact there's no cactus dfs no oh. well that, they might be the same thing Oh, okay. No, they're not. Outlaw Tour is different. Outlaws the dudes, cactuses the gals. Oh, yeah, okay. I've I've stayed a little bit away from that. God, there is there two wild roses? Yeah, there's one in Emmitsburg. My goodness. <laughs> now I've gone down this I've gone down this Iowa casino rabbit hole. Anyway. How about you? Uh you placed any NFL futures so far? Yeah. Um got Oh, you got some positions? Yeah, uh, right when odds first came out, bet Kyler at every book I had money in between 33 and 45 to 1 yes. for MVP and Dak at 20 to 1 and uh, Dallas to win the Super Bowl at 22 to 1. Oh, man. We we're simpatico. Those are great plays. Great numbers, yes. too. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're like the the, Ky Kyler. the Kyler number is like the most uh, insulting thing ever. It's like you want to bet Kyler eight to one. There, <laughs> take it or leave yep. it. That was uh, that was like uh, 
in that's in stark contrast to like the Mitch Trubisky number from last year, which was insane for a different reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think. I mean, realistically, the MVP market, if you the the handicap is super simple. Is the team? You know, you have to. You have a very small, small pool of players that can actually win the MVP. And yeah. you have it's a there's a there's a lot of names. The hold becomes massive. The more players you have, the more options you have, the bigger the hold is. Um, but you can winnow, winnow that down real quick by only looking at quarterbacks and only looking at quarterbacks who are on teams that have a realistic chance of winning double-digit games. And I agree, the Cardinals are going to be a vastly improved team this year. Hopkins is going to be a massive part of that improvement. But they did a they had a very nice draft on top of that. Um, and uh, Cliff Kingsbury system in year two, uh, Kyler, if he uses his legs at all this year, which I felt like he underutilized his uh, running ability last we just, season. We like just got to get them to stop kicking field goals, right? That's the the biggest enemy. The biggest enemy to the Arizona Card. Like if they just made field goals illegal, uh, they 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 probably they could have won like eight games last year. Well now, well now that they're not going to waste two downs in every red zone attempt by handing out to David Johnson, I think that's yep. a realistic chance that we'll see more touchdowns. <laughs> yep, very so. true. Hopkins is a wonderful target in the red zone. They, you know, they, they absolutely are stacked to perform well statistically. All they got to do is uh, compete with um, – they got to they, they finish second, I think, in the uh, West if that has, if that, for that ticket to have life. If they get I think a they, line, I they, think get they like can win. I think they seven. can win that division. I'm, I'm team 49ers are paper tigers. Ooh, wow, that is a hot take. Because you just, it just, it just doesn't work to run the ball that much. It just, it's like, it's just theoretically a team that if if they just get unlucky and are trailing by 10 points in games because of bad variance, it's just a lot harder for a team built around running the ball to sustain than it is a team built around passing the ball. Like, obviously the defense is great. Obviously they have a system that's built to score points and gain yards around running the ball, but it's just a lot harder to deal with in-game variance if you're primary mode of moving the ball is running mm. i think the uh i, I think it. the niners offense contains more multitudes than you're giving them credit for and i i i think they the perception of them as a, as a run first team was afforded by the fact that they had, no one could really stop them so yeah you're gonna take the easiest you're gonna take the easiest road the path of least resistance time, right? path yeah. every time uh, but uh, and you know if you if you if the road to the Super Bowl goes through uh, the likes of the, uh, the likes of the Green Bay Packers, of course you're going to run the ball. <laughs> so it's right. like you didn't really have to pass uh, to get there. Um, but I honestly like my take during last year's playoffs were that screwed them in the end because I feel like they absolutely needed to build up Jimmy's confidence more so than they did through the first two playoff games where they effectively took the ball out of his hands. Um, especially the second half of that that Vikings game, they really yeah. were like, "He's not going. We're not going to let him kill us." Like I feel like once the win was, Which we were we were holding Niners the Packers, minus seven there though. We like, were. I liked the game we plan. Were. I liked the game plan too, but uh, it's it preserved a win. But I feel like in that Packers game, they pack, the the Niners win that game against the Packers mm, ninety five times out of a hundred. There were very few paths to victory for the Packers, especially this the is way this is what I need to game plan. So, this is what I need please, to ask you guys as our, yeah, as our yeah, final topic here. Please yeah. tell me you did not bet the 49ers in the Super Bowl, either one of you. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Okay. I, no. All right. I, no, I did. I did. I, I had like a free bet somewhere, and it was bet uh, – basically it was flat, plus 100 both sides, NFC or AFC wins the Super Bowl. But I had to place it in September. Mm. I had the freaking NFC. 
Uh, so all that did to- was make me put fifty more dollars on the Chiefs because I'm like, well, it's like fifty free extra dollars. I'm gonna right. bet on on the Chiefs at this point. But yeah, I had uh, I had two nothing. bets. I had two bets on the Niners. The first was they will score on their first possession. Yes, uh, that was at like plus one thirty, which was insane. Um, and then my second bet was Niners first half money line, which pushed. And I got to tell you, I lost my shit with uh, Kyle Shanahan running out that clock. Yeah. Such a coward. move. And then then the offensive PI call on George Kittle was just egregious. It was egregious. He did not gain an advantage on that. He did not gain an advantage on that. That was an egregious play uh, to, to penalize them. They should have gotten one more score and, and that uh, first half bet should have cashed. But, uh, no, I mean, our, our entire narrative that we kind of worked up and all of the content that we created for the Super Bowl was, you know, there's you, there's no no lead is safe. <laughs> there's there's no uh, – there was no, um, uh, you know, the, there was no lead that the Niners could have had at any point in that game with as, you know, until we got down to like two minutes to go. If they had a double-digit lead, I probably would have been a little sweaty, I guess. But, you know, there, no lead was safe at any point. Uh, in that game with as explosive as the Chiefs offense was at that time, uh, which I think, uh, you know, bore out to be the the defining factor because Kyle Shanahan was way too conservative, did not score enough points. You're not going to beat the Chiefs 20 points. uh, And he left a lot of points on the field, and that was on him. I will – I'll never, ever, ever forgive the NFL for giving the MVP award of that game to Mahomes instead of Damian. Oh, I don't know about that. Really? You think Damian Williams earned the 20, 25, 25 to one. He, he scores the game winning touchdown and the game ceiling touchdown. I, so this is what would have had to have happened for him to win it. The two yard Mahomes rushing touchdown that had the pitch option. Yeah. He just cuts up and takes it. If he pitches that to Damian and Damian scores three touchdowns, hundred and like 40 ish yards. He's, he's got to win it. Right. That's yes. true. Yeah. If he puts I thought up it was going to be close. Yeah. Like when when they were down before, you know, everyone was betting Chiefs when they were down, and I was pulling up live books like one after another, and one had live MVP odds, and I mashed a bunch on Mahomes MVP, and I was pretty nervous about that. I'm like, they, this is like a coin flip for me. Like, I think they'll go quarterback, but it would not have surprised me at all. Like, it was probably a bad beat for people. I mean, at the at the end of the day, Mahomes wins like 95 percent of the time when the Chiefs win, and after that third and 15 completion to Tyreek, it it was probably like done. That was like it was just it was. I mean, I, I, you know, like just such an amazing moment. Um, but yeah, I I'm still salty that I didn't cash that ticket. That's you have a right to be salty about that. I think I, I just, uh, oh, sure. I, I, I meant, uh, my, my, uh, my perception wasn't, uh, who was the rightful winner as much as it was. You really thought that the chiefs were going to win a super bowl with Mahomes making a comeback and they weren't going to give him the MVP. Like that story writes itself in every, you know, sells newspapers gets clicks. Like that's, that's, a uh, you know, again, same thing like with betting the NFL MVP or, uh, or any of the kind of qualitative awards that are given out by the media, like the game theory that goes into it all speaks to what do the voters vote on? Like, what are they thinking? Yeah. Like, don't make a decision on who you think is the right, you know, who, who you think has a path to be the rightful best player in the NFL. You have to legitimately think through, you know, Kyler Murray could put up record setting numbers. He could, he could, he could, um, you know, he could match Lamar Jackson's stat line exactly next year. Uh, but if the uh, Cardinals are eight and eight, he's not going to win. He's not going to win. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. It's because they always they start from the top down in terms of 
which teams were the best and they, and they look specifically at, okay, well, who on those teams is worthy? And that's, that's the path that they always go through voting. And it's, you know, as long as you know it's that. Funny. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's funny to say something that we're trying to predict, you know, 10 months ahead of time is predictable. <laughs> like, but to a certain point, yeah. a lot of those award, those award markets, they are pretty predictable. And unless you have, you know, a crazy breakout season, like uh, something that you wouldn't see happening like we had last year. But yeah, it, it, it's funny how your mindset changes. Like, you know, you say Lamar, or you say Mahomes was like 95% or, you know, not what, what, what were the odds of them not giving him to him after the comeback? But then in my head, it was like a coin flip. And it's because I had the ticket. Like when you have right, the ticket, yeah. you're yeah, constantly right. making the case for the other one. Like I'm dead. This is a dead ticket. I put too much on it. <laughs> yeah. This is stupid. Yeah. It's like that. It, it, we, I told this, told this story a couple of weeks ago, the, the Yorgos thing, like yeah. somebody had a bad Yorgos number and everybody was betting it. So I'm like, I'll take the bad Yorgos number. And then everything went nuts. And uh, Alfonso Curon came back to the pack and I'm like, well, I have to bet the piss out of this. So all of a sudden I had a <laughs> shitload of money on, on the best director category, way, way more than I thought I should. And I'm looking and I'm like, God, Spike Lee is due. Like he's gonna win. Like I had it in my head. Like Spike Lee is gonna. Right. He was. He was like the third favorite, and it wasn't terrible. Far behind. And I, I remember it, talking I had you it down in my head, on like, this. I'm it like, was Spike so Lee's obvious they were giving. This. They were giving Spike the runner-up, which is the best screenplay. And as soon as he won the best screenplay, you should have just chilled out. It yep. was a done deal. I, I, I did. You talked me down. But in my head, I'm like, I'm going to lose all this money because Spike Lee. Yeah, that was fun. It's a, and that's why it's a mind game, people. It is. It, it very much is. Cognitive right, biases. Learn them. Yep. yep. Uh, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Uh, whether you listen to this on on our feed or their feed, maybe we will uh, maybe we'll get a we'll get a part two in there. Probably there definitely is is plenty of uh, of stuff left to discuss. So Drew and Andy, thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, or or thanks for having me on your show. Either way, depending oh, yeah. on uh, which feed yeah, you're thank listening. Thank you. On. Thank you for joining yeah, thanks, us. Thanks for coming on the deep dive. Yeah. yeah. So everyone, thank you uh, very much for listening. Yep.